Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Some of the incredible features include live soundboard editing, automatic post-production and secured cloud backup. I do love that automatic post-production on my podcast. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's a breaking news podcast. Welcoming Dan on the pod with me. How are we doing, Dan? Hello, hello. It is a, it is a good day. It is a good day, not for some at the Pentagon, obviously, as we've we've found out in the last 24 hours or so. But yesterday we saw online, officially announced by George Knapp and his co-authors, Colm Kelleher, Dr. Colm Kelleher, and also James uh, Lakatsky. I always want to say Lakatsky. James (laughs) Lakatsky, Dr. James Lakatsky. Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret government UFO program is available to order now. You can read it on Kindle. I've got my paperback version on the way. I prefer like a a solid book. So we've not read the book yet, but we have watched the Mystery Wire interview and we have also read the synopsis of the book. So we're doing well. Um, There there has been um, tidbits kind of popping up from people who are reading the book. So there are kind of pertinent points to discuss there i think absolutely so straight off the bat and that synopsis dan and we talk about this a little bit on the kgra show this week so please folks check out kgradb.com for our show or you can check out it on their youtube channel but we'll be going into it in more detail here just because of what was announced and when and that's the other show by the way you can check that on youtube uh dan yeah so the book has dropped james lakatsky uh, is, is a pretty big deal, isn't he? Because he essentially Indeed. was the program manager for OSAP, which we know was the... Right, now I'm going to hopefully say this correct because this has been muddied a little bit over the last 24 hours online. OSAP was the predecessor to ATIP, which we've always known. However, as has been mentioned by Lou in the past, that uh, ATIP was a continuation of OSAP. What's the confusion, Dan? Where are people getting mixed up here? And Stephen Greenstreet was posting online and there was a little bit of back and forward between a few names. What's the confusion here with the programs? Sure. 
So the way that Lukatsky explains it, uh, he says that ATIP was a, a kind of nickname for ORSAF for security reasons. So we essentially have two versions of ATIP. We have the version that they're referring to ORSAF and they're using the nickname. And then we have the version of ATIP that was formally situated uh, inside the, the Pentagon. And that's what, uh, you know, Lou Elizondo was working on. That supposedly was zero funded. They had film to look at. It focused on military encounters, but it's not what received the $22 million in funding. That was OSAP. Cool. So OSAP didn't go away. It was a, a continuation, and eventually Lou took over the program, and we, we tend to know that uh, affectionately now as Lou ran ATIP, but essentially OSAP, OSAP was one and the same thing, wasn't it? I, I think imagine them kind of like a, a Hydra. Um, you, you know, OSAP is the Hydra. Um, people like to call it ATIP. And then at some point, it sprouted another head that lived inside the Pentagon and was very focused. And that's where Lou was. And do you know what? I know people love to get really technical. And it's important people get these details right. Either way, folks, they were government-backed UFO programs. That's what you need to know. And that's yeah. what's getting called out here. That's that's the headline. Don't get bogged down in arguing online about what was OSAP and what was ATIP. Because at the end of the day, the government studied and funded and looked at UFOs. That's the headline here, isn't it, Dan? Absolutely. And Lekatsky says that. You know, point blank, he said mm. it was completely UFO related, which means that Susan Goff uh, fibbed, essentially, <laughs> um, when she said that it wasn't. Um, yeah, zero ambiguity from Jim Slikatsky. He's the guy that started those programs, you know, so someone's got a, a misrepresentation to answer for, I'd say. I am shocked. Um, I, I was interested, Dan, that uh, James himself uh, mentioned as part of that that they had gathered the largest UFO database in the world, which yeah. is currently being used by the US military still. And in one of the tidbits that I saw from the book was that it mentions the UK as well. So it's not just, you know, we've heard about Italian databases, South American databases you know, from Brazil, Argentina. Um, but this this sounds like a altogether different beast you, you know it might even be the the thing that we've all wanted to find for a long while the way i've seen someone mention it was james lakatsky lou's boss no because lou worked at oh i'm gonna mess up these acronyms now uh <laughs> ousdi so that would be a different department james lakatsky was the dia okay. i had seen that being commented on online by someone and i thought i don't think they were there at the same time working on that program were they so it's i mean it seems that there was crossover you know from from what's in the book you know lou, lou was supposedly there at dinners um on the ranch and there, there's some suggestive sentences about rv ability remote viewing ability sorry i shouldn't shorten that <laughs> no and everyone knows those those acronyms um so yeah it certainly seems that there was some involvement whether Lou will open that up about that in his own book or whether that's a conversation for further down the road is anyone's guess. I, I can call that one right now, Dan, I think with reasonable accuracy, that is a conversation for way down the road. Sure. Lou 
Elizondo will not right now talk about any, and we'll have to still say potential because until it comes from his mouth, um, it, it's still yeah. speculation, but speculation with, you know, backing. I mean, it's not a quote in the book, is it? It's no. uh, prose, so. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying that it's definitely not happened. I'm sure I'm sure it has from the people writing the book and, and the tone of the book. Maybe but, maybe if uh, George Knapp comes back on, you, you can ask Knapp if there's a, a sourced quote there that maybe he can refer to that proves that point. I won't make it a secret the email is out there and I've I've messaged George Knapp and he knows I want them to come on and I'm sure everyone else does as well, but we'll see what happens. Uh, he's got back to me, which is which is nice, and the, the tentative feelers are out there for that, which yeah, is surprised. which is good. I've had a few listeners message to say, you have to get these guys on, and I was on that pretty quick, don't worry. Um, but regarding the Lou Elizondo and remote viewing, that will not be a conversation that Lou entertains because it's a bit of a lose-lose because it either muddies the waters in terms of the UFO community as to to what Lou's position really is right now, but also from a mainstream media point of view, it just changes every single thing that Lou has said or done, because from now on, if Lou Elizondo comes out and says, I have or have entertained or I've been a remote viewer, it all of a sudden becomes psychic spy headline, Lou Elizondo was a remote viewer, and the headlines and all the questions turn to that And that's why he himself doesn't talk about any sightings or experiences. And that's why he doesn't talk about remote viewing and keeps very much his opinion out of this. He tries to keep it based on the conversation. And I respect that and get that. Listen, I would love to sit and interview Lou and speak to him about his own experiences, his sightings. Was he a psychic spy? What has he remote viewed? That would be great. It's not going to happen anytime in the near future because it would totally change the, the course of what's happening. And I think I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, we're, we're we're on some nice kind of. It's like crossing a, a rough river, right? And and we we kind of have these nice little safe spots we can stand in, and our steps have to be purposeful. And and yeah. well, I think of the lose analogy of feeding someone nutritious food too fast, even that will kill them. You know. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race. I think on this one, folks. So. When it comes to Lou Part 2 for that question and answer show, it's one that there's. I'm sure there's a way to phrase the question that you might get a little bit of a response, but it's also, I reckon, time that would be better invested elsewhere in different conversations. But we'll see when that time comes. But that'll be an interesting one, no doubt, anyway. Uh, tonight, as this is released at midnight on the 13th of October, uh, or would that be the midnight on the 14th UK? I don't know. But basically, this evening, uh, Vinnie Adams of Disclosure Team, one of our colleagues at UAP Media UK, is interviewing Lou. That conversation has been booked for a while and is largely going to be based on the artificial intelligence program that Lou is looking at uh, developing and bringing out as part of conversations they've had previously. But I'm sure it will come up at some point within that conversation anyway. Dan is moderating the chat for that one, aren't you, Dan? So you'll be about... Yeah, I'll be about to kind of try and augment things and, you, you know... If anyone kicks off about not talking about remote viewing, we can soothe them. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so listen, anyway, there was a lot of good stuff within the interview that Mystery Wire posted with George, James, and Colm themselves. Like you mentioned, Dan, ATIP in the Pentagon was not funded. It looked at important military UFO encounters. Again, I think as stuff starts to come out, you can understand more and more why they did not look back at public events you know, things like the Phoenix Lights and, and, and such. That it just basically as a look at military encounters, important ones. And I would I would caveat, I suppose important references how much data was available. And that would be how modern the sensors were, the radar, 
anything and everything that may have picked this stuff up, which is why we get the stuff from 2004 onwards. It wasn't a public investigation of UAP or UFOs. Not to say that hasn't happened in some way, shape or form, but it's not what these programs were developed for. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. There's a few cases that have kind of come up in the book, uh, one of them being the RAF Lake and Heath UFO encounter, which is an interesting one. Um, you can actually hear the audio between the pilots as they encounter this object. Um, and it kind of tickled me because we all know the dude, what the hell is that thing from from the Pentagon videos? And in this video, you have a British pilot yelling, I have no idea what that is as he's flying past it. And I just thought, yep, that's the blighty version. Yeah, that's the, by Jove, look at that. <laughs> what, what, what? So yeah, you've got that polite uh, polite British reaction to these things as well. Um, obviously, the, the title of the book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, raises some eyes as well, because it's not just about the UFO programs, but it's again digging into the fact that you had the Bigelow Aerospace Investigation. It was a 24-month-long program. Um, what sort of stuff jumped out at you from the interview, Dan? immediately i would say i mean we've spoken about the databases already they specify 11 separate databases from around the world uk included um they then state that individuals here being the us and beyond the united states had medical effects and this is the bit that yep. really stood out to me because we've seen it in the legislation uh hr 4350 and 5412 god that's a lot to remember um <laughs> but that They've both both those bills now have anomalous health effects and and kind of directions to study and get the information and properly help people who were affected by this. So it's interesting to see it come up at this time. Yeah, and obviously one of the cases Colm mentioned, so George just asked him obviously, and I'm sure he was prepared for the questions he was about to get. Uh, can you talk about any of them particularly? And he talks about a biotech biotech engineer biotech engineer that uh, right? yeah yeah biotech engineer from oregon with his daughter yeah and they're driving along c3 ufos in the distance they seem to notice the car drive towards the car they fly or move towards the car enter the car so i'm guessing that's that transmedium because i'm sure they didn't just fly through open windows so i'm guessing they moved through the the glass yeah there's a suggestion there isn't there and then it's reported that they they kind of cross paths a very small baseball sized but one of the objects passes through the shoulders of of the, the gent driving the car, and this has some severe impacts afterwards. And I, I've put in brackets, you know, I've been quizzical on orbs in the past, Dan, but are we talking orb-type objects, do you think, here? Yeah, I mean, baseball size, that's what we're looking at. It, it made me think of... Um you know, not the diminish it, but more lightning, you know, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's a much more intriguing phenomena than the dismissive way that it's used. Um, but, you know, even that, if it's that and that passed through, you know, through one shoulder sideways and came out the other shoulder, I mean, that's going to really damage you inside. And as soon as I thought that, you know, they started listing the effects, pain, nausea, left face sunburn, like close encounters of the third kind, Roy in there losing hair, left eye damaged, ear damaged, you know, just really, really kind of scary effects. And it, it got a really serious illness from it, and it sounded pretty bad at one point, but th they did mention it was managed it managed to be treated, which yeah. is great, and it sounds like his daughter was also okay as well. Uh, so that, that's one pretty fascinating case. It's not something I think we'll hear too much of, is it? Because they did mention that 
patient medical confidentiality. They're not just yes. going to spill loads of cases and kind of what happened and you're not going to get names from it as well. And I think that's probably important to mention now that they do mention the book was um, gone through by the, the US, you know, the US government, the right departments, and that it was it was cleared for release. I imagine much of what was taken out is probably nothing necessarily juicy that people would want. It'll be personal details, names, any locations that they feel is a little bit sensitive. So, and to be fair, that the names of the people attached to this book, uh, the authors themselves, will know what can and can't go into one of these books. They didn't write a tell-all that the US government then had to go in and remove details from. So I'm sure they're, they're very clever individuals and know what they're doing. And I suppose it's going to be the same for Luis Elizondo's book, that he knows exactly what can and can't go into a book and how it can be worded as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeremy Corbell posted a, a front cover of what I assume is the the manuscript um, that he'd been reading, and there was a bit more of an extensive statement from the, the DOD on there. Um, and it just basically says, you know, the, the views expressed in this book are the views of the author and don't necessarily reflect those of the DOD. Um, and then at the end, it says we're appropriate in order to protect personally identifiable information and protected health information. Names and details have been changed. So I think you're exactly right on that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it, folks. And I think there's going to be a lot of really good content within the book regardless. I would just like to mention as well for... For those that, and I bring this up time to time on the podcast, depending on what we're talking about, Dan, you'll know this. When we hear about Love and Light and all of these ETs being super friendly, and we know there's been some celebrities in the news talking about this recently as well. Has this, there? <laughs> there has, yeah. Um, this right here isn't Love and Light and all things good. Whatever these objects are, whether it was deliberate or not, they, they have caused someone to more than likely almost die and you know that they could have caused a child to get really ill as well and we don't know if that possibly did happen or not but this is where you've got to look at it from an objective point of view and there's no doubt more than one phenomenon at play in all of this as well but like i I would ask are these same baseball sized orb type objects any relation at all to tic tacs my gut feeling is probably not however it's it's something that you've got to look at and question and discuss and talk about. But this, I, I have me, the opposite gut feeling. Do you? You think I they are? do? Only in the sense that I think they're using the same kind of physical or the the same laws of physics to do what they do. Not okay. necessarily made by the same people, just you know, using the same techniques. Okay, or similar Wait, techniques, I'll say. There's discussions in that for another show down the line. For I think sure. somewhere that's a good speculative one. Like I say, this for me, when you talk about love and light and all these uh, beings and entities and the whole phenomena isn't dangerous, whether it means to be or not, there are some very serious effects effects when people interact with it that they can't do anything about at the time. So that's that's just a nail in that coffin for me straight away. And it's something that people do have to, and, and again, let's, let's go way back to an old trope, but the whole threat narrative, you know, are these things a threat? Well, do you know what? If by just coming into contact with these objects that you can end up with some almost form of cancer from it, I would say that's a threat. That's not to say they meant to do that or the objects were even aware, but it happens. So you have to be careful. That, that's a good point, actually. Threat, threat is different to intent. You know, the two separate conversations, whether these things intend to damage us, that's a different outcome to whether 
we're just damaged by proximity, by you know electromagnetic some interference or something yeah, like that. If you, you know? if you stumble, Dan, if you're out in the and you know for a walk and you stumble across some you know nuclear waste that's been discarded, the the intent of the waste it just it's just existence is what it is. It has the effects that it has on its surroundings. It didn't. Its intent wasn't to harm you, but it was harmful because of its mere existence and how it yeah. exists, the state Absolutely. of it. Um, so that that's the way this has potentially got to be looked at. So yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And for me, also the fact it was mentioned by James that this was a closed program. It was not an official SAP, so it wasn't a special access program. That even James mentioned, senior officials and leaders in that very department did not know about this. They did not know it was being run. So again, that just goes to show you that these things, just because. Again, we're not experts, Dan. We we throw about things like SAP and OUSDI and all these acronyms that we learn and we find out about. But people get too caught up in, well, they would have known about X, Y, and Z. We don't know that. And that's what I think we're usually quite good at saying, that it, you've found out here from one of the experts, someone who was involved, this was a program that people directly involved with them and above them did not know was running alongside all this other stuff that was going on. I think that was a really interesting take from the interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we know that Harry Reid tried to get SAP status for um, for ATIP and was turned down. Um, and you, you've got to wonder, you, you know, SAP, you're usually protecting something. And we, we all suspect that there are programs that have been studying this for longer. And ATIP becoming an SAP might have meant that their information could have been combined. So... I guess to say that the secret keepers are being very protective and don't want to play ball on this, you know, but it seems to be changing. Yeah. Dr. Kelleher also mentions that, you know what, the book has been a long time coming. It can address some confusion out there over the program that there were over 100 reports in a 24 month period sent to the DIA. He says it was a six feet high stack of data when you stood next to it, the actual physical proof. Um, there was deep dives into cases and topics, so not just high-level stuff, but some of these they really went into went in too hard. Uh, Dr. Lakatsky gets a call-out as being the driving force behind this in D.C., and George Knapp also mentioned Senator Harry Reid and Bob Bigelow fought to get that program up and running, but also that there were predators in the Pentagon that caused significant issues, and it could have been so much further down the line without that interference, which I, I suppose is something we all expect happens within the halls of government. But it's just disappointing, but reinforces that it does go on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So something else that comes from what you just said as well, the, the fact that this book has been prepared for two years, I, I think was the, the length of time. In that time, people have given George Knapp a lot of crap, quite frankly, about certain things. And and this is one of those moments where you kind of have to realize that he's talking to a lot of people at a lot of times. And it's kind of like your analogy about Tom, you know, having a 40 pieces out of a 100 piece jigsaw puzzle and kind of starting to get a good idea. You know, we, we should stop being hung up on, say, punctuation of the title, for example, and start talking about the content fully. And you know what? I think we've got to say to kind of round off the the kind of short breaking news, Dan, that we enjoy the speculation as well, don't we? We yeah. don't mind the fact there's stuff here that we don't know, we can't see, that still has to be investigated, that may or may not come out. But we enjoy that conversation. And I think a lot of you listening to this enjoy that as well from, from what we hear in the interactions we have that 
if you really go back to why you get involved in a subject in the first place, the stuff that we don't know is as exciting, if not better, than the stuff that we do. And I just love the fact that you've got people like uh, Dr. Lakatsky, Dr. Kelleher, and George Knapp working on this sort of material. Because do you know what? Again, I'm no doubt within their respective fields, they face a lot of hardship and ridicule for the work they put in to get this sort of material out to everyone as well. Um, so I would urge people to pick up Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret UFO program. It is free if you have Kindle Unlimited, so you can go and walk, read that right now. You can get it for uh, well £7.31, which is no doubt about $10 or $11, um, or it's £12.45 in paperback. I like a hard copy of a book, and I have picked that one up as well. Once Dan and I have read the book as well, we'll come back and do some reviewing of it too. Dan, and, and anything no you want to add? There will be so many developments by that point as well. You know, I, I have 110% faith that as of today, Black Vault is sat in his chair filing foyers left, right and center from new information in this. Like everything, answers just raise more questions. People are doing the work. Let's see how this pans out. It's exciting. Absolutely. And I will be asking Paolo Gazzardi, who is one of the heads over at ISAR and Project Titan, uh, about this later on in my interview that will be out next Monday. It'll be out early access on the patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast, or you can check it out on Apple Premium as well. So keep a lookout for that, folks. Lots still to come out over the next few days. Dan, thanks for joining me at short notice. Thank you. You don't have anything better to do anyway, do you? So it's, it's fine. No, not at all. No editing or anything. No. No, editing, <laughs> no work. Thank you very much, folks. And we'll speak soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. back and nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red, I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should scare me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.
Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. Hey, remember how 20 years ago I switched to Progressive? Well, now it's the future, and I used all those savings to buy this new hologram phone. Because, you know, it's the future, and everything is holograms now. So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.